Thriving in divorce and beyond means not having to worry about the safety of your children when it comes to co-parenting. With alcohol abuse on the rise, many co-parents are turning to the system committed to providing proof, protection, and peace of mind. Soberlink's alcohol monitoring system is the most convenient, reliable, and reasonable way for a parent to provide evidence that they are not drinking during parenting time. Soberlink's real-time alerts, facial recognition, and tamper detection ensure the integrity of each test so you can be confident your kids are with a sober parent. With Soberlink, judges rest assured that your child is safe, attorneys get court-admissible evidence of sobriety, and both parents have empowerment and peace of mind. Pull back the curtain on the mysteries of parenting time and trust the experts in remote alcohol monitoring technology to keep you informed and your kids safe and secure. To download the resource I created with Soberlink, Divorce and Addiction, A Guide to Move Forward, visit www.soberlink.com backslash Susan. Coming up on today's episode of the Divorce and Beyond podcast. Taking the high road does not mean saying yes to everything that's unreasonable. It's actually the opposite, everybody. It's about focusing on a limited number of divorce goals that are really important to you, compromising on the volume of things that are unimportant. And any good attorney will tell you, everybody, two things happen. Number one, when you take the high road and reduce the conflict points, A, you save money. And B, you reduce your stress. Hello, and welcome to the Divorce and Beyond podcast. I'm Susan Guthrie, your host. As a top divorce attorney and family law mediator for 30 years, I know what you need to know to get through your divorce, and most importantly, how to move beyond it to thrive and transition to your new future. My experts and I are here to give you the insider view into the process, so listen in for the wisdom and expert information you need on your journey through divorce and beyond. Hello, and welcome to today's podcast. I'm Susan Guthrie, your host, and today I have an author with us. It's a wonderful book that he sent me recently. It's called Take the High Road, Divorce with Compassion for Yourself and Your Family. And I have to tell you, the minute I opened it and saw that he has an entire section of golden nuggets... Uh, I knew we had to have them on, right, folks? Because that's what we're always trying to give you on this show are some golden nuggets. So Andy Heller is joining me. He is the author of the book. And unlike many of the guests who have joined me, Andy is not a divorce professional. He is not a divorce attorney. He's not a divorce mediator, financial therapist. He's a businessman. And prior in his, I'll call it, Andy, your prior life, he's also a best-selling author who wrote two books, two best-selling books on selling real estate investment. Completely new world. But like so many people that join me on this show, and like so many of you out there, Andy's own divorce really changed something for him, and that led to the book. Um, So I'm delighted to have him here with me today. Thanks so much, Andy, for joining us. Susan, thank you. I don't know how to live up to that great introduction. (laughs) (laughs) Well, honestly, I'm delighted to have you, and I, I love giving people 
this perspective, because what I what you have really done, and I'll say it's in a very masterful way, you have pulled together uh, 46 strategies, tools, and tips from a vast amount of resources. I mean, you, you've read books, you've interviewed professionals, you've spoken to so many people, and then you distilled it down into really bite-sized chunks. It's so well done for people. I want to point out to listeners that when you get the book, one of the things I truly like about it is that as you're going through your divorce process or post-divorce, as you're having an issue, the book is, is done in such a way that you can actually just pick up the table of contents, thumb through it, and find the topic that you're having an issue with, and then go immediately to the tips and, and strategies to deal with that. It reminds me of Christina McGee's wonderful parenting book called Parenting Apart, which is very similar. I, I think that is so helpful for people. Thank you, Susan. Uh, yeah, we wrote. I wrote it. I'm a businessman. I wrote it kind of as a business plan for getting through a divorce is difficult and land in a place where you can co-parent effectively without screwing up our kids. Yeah. Well, and ultimately that's the number one thing that we know that people going into divorce or going through divorce who have children truly want. The number one thing those parents will say is that they don't, I'll use your vernacular, don't want to screw up their kids. And, yep. and you have wonderful tips in here to do that. But let me start with, because one of the things that really rang out for me was the Take the High Road title. Uh, that is a phrase that as a divorce attorney, as a divorce mediator, as a friend, as a person going through divorce, people said it to me, you hear it all the time in divorce. But it's not that easy. And I don't know that everyone means the same thing. So let's start with what you mean by that and why you chose that as the title for the book. Before I answer your question, I'm going to tell you something that's going to make you and your listeners laugh. If I had to do over again, I probably would have picked a different title because people <laughs> are looking at the title. They find it on Amazon like, wait a second, I've got to fight about some things here. So this is not the book for me. So it's a bit misleading, Susan. Taking the high road, and you as an attorney will understand this, and the problem is getting the people to step number two where they understand it. Taking the high road does not mean saying yes to everything that's unreasonable. It's actually the opposite, everybody. It's about focusing on a limited number of divorce goals that are really important to you, compromising on the volume of things that are unimportant. And any good attorney will tell you, everybody, two things happen. Number one, when you take the high road and reviews, re reduce the conflict points, A, you save money, and B, you reduce your stress. So this is actually a strategy not to where you are going to be completely open up and say yes to everything that's not reasonable, but by focusing on the two or three things that are really important to you and not focusing on the other things, you're going to give your attorney the focus that he or she needs to get you a good settlement. You're going to appear to be super compromising when you're actually compromising on a bunch of things that are not as important to you. So it's more about um, putting your issues into two buckets those that are really, really important. And I'm talking about no more than two or three issues and or goals are, is a better word. And those that are less important. So that's what taking the high road means. It's about focus, compromising on the bulk, focusing on the, the, the few things that are really important for you to achieve. 
That's such a critical point. I've talked about it in various other episodes, but what strikes me is maybe a different title might have been Pick Your Battles, right? Well, so where were you a year ago? Where were you yeah, a year sorry. ago when I picked the title? So yes, you're right. <laughs> but, you're, but, but it makes me think of this because in the similar to what you were just saying, a, a, a discussion that as an attorney or as a mediator I've had with clients so many times is pick your battles and it's exactly what you're talking about. What is actually really, truly important to you and what can you give on? And don't make everything a battle because when you're doing that, you're really doing that from a place of emotion yes. and trying to harm someone else and not really doing it from that place of compassion for yourself and your family as you have in your your subtitle. So I, I love that sort of twist on take the high road because a lot of people do think, I think, that taking the high road means rolling over, saying yes to everything just to get it done. And that's not what the high road is. No. It is knowing your priorities and knowing right. how to pick your battles. So perfect place to start so that we know, and I, I want everyone to note what you just said there because I, I think it's critical, needing to have a strategy. Right. And we're going to talk about that some more because as we we break down your book, you have broken down your book. One of the things that I think it, it makes it so easily digestible is not that you just broke it down into the 46 tips, but you also have those tips broken down into four categories. Um, so you have part one, which is note the words, folks, divorce strategy, structure and goals. We're going to talk about strategy, as I said. Number two is action steps to help your children manage life's changes. Three is don't forget about your own needs when divorcing. And four is healthy dealings with your ex. So that in and of itself, just by compartmentalizing and taking your tips and finding which one they, they break down into, I think is also an additional way of helping people understand sort of the umbrella that their issues are falling under. So what I thought might be fun to do would be let's take one tip from each section and let you really sort of dive into that. If I had my druthers, we'd go through all 46 and just give everybody all your magic at one time, but they'd be on the podcast. They'd be listening to a podcast for a couple of days. So how does that sound? We'll, we'll dive in on part one. I'm, I'm on the diving board. Let's do it. <laughs> I like that. I like the visual too. All right. So part one is divorce strategy, structure, and goals. And the tip that I, I wanted to talk about, because I have, again, said this to clients myself, always tell the truth and avoid playing games. During divorce, particularly when you're negotiating, very often one of the complaints that I heard in all the interviews that I did was that, I'm concerned because my spouse is lying about this or lying about that. I'm not a good dad. I'm not a good mom or this or that. Well, how do you respond to that? That's a really, really crucial point. So I'm going to make two points. First is the various players in your divorce, both attorneys, if you have a judge involved, if you have a mediator involved, they're going to figure out if you're not telling the truth. So you're not, you're not fooling anybody. And this is a part where I say take the high road. So you've got to have the skills, and here's where I bring in some business counsel, where there's business structures involved. If you're in a business meeting and you a high-conflict business meeting and somebody says something that's not the truth, you can't ever say, well, you're not telling the truth. You can't handle it that way. But what you can say is, you know, Susan, I don't recall it quite like that. 
And here's what I recall. So the attorneys will know exactly what you're saying. So don't stoop to that level because if you lose the trust of the players that you will need to get a healthy settlement, it's going to actually hurt you. So if your your former partner is stooping to a low level, don't follow him or don't follow her down that rabbit hole. But doesn't mean you have to agree. I don't re- I don't I don't recall it that way. And then again, in the book, we give you some some wording to use. But you you you're not going to accept what they say. You're going to create doubt, and then you're going to pivot and give your version. And your version should be the truth. I always tell people, and this is may- maybe the high road, right? Don't, it's not, this is not a situation where two wrongs make a right. If your partner or your ex-spouse is lying or telling something that's not true, don't think that that then gives you a free pass to make up your own version. Tell the truth. I love that you said, you know, we're, we professionals who have been in this field for a long time, those judges, the evaluators, the lawyers, we're not, we're in general, intelligent people. And we've seen a lot of this. So we know you're right. So telling the truth, I think that is a a really key strategy. And then the avoid playing games because people can really get in their heads about game playing. Yes. Yeah. You you, got to keep it simple. This is where that first thing we were talking about, about setting goals helps. If you've given your attorney two goals, he or she will focus on that and when the other things come up, you'll move past that quickly and stick to the two or three goals you want to accomplish with your divorce settlement. That one I think is critical. You're making me think of situations um, that I've seen where a client who's very focused and has done that, they've they've said, oh, you know, my two goals, a really good parenting plan where I have, you know, a great amount of time with my children and I want to keep the house or whatever. They've identified their goals. Then their spouse starts playing, I'll call it playing games and filing like all these motions over small issues left and right. And you get sucked into that vortex of just playing games, going down the road of arguing over 15 minutes of drop off time and getting away from working out a parenting plan that's going to work for your kids at the end of the divorce. And it's easy to do because of that emotional content you were talking about. So staying focused on your goals that you were talking, I think that's that's really an important point. Yeah, I'm going to throw in a really quick tip on help, helping you control or, or make it difficult for your former partner to play games. So one example, and this is in the negotiation section, is um, provide uh, what you believe will be a a, um, a reasonable or a, uh, an accepted settlement, but put a put a uh, a limit on that that this offer is contingent upon the acceptance being before our legal bills reach this point or within a week or two weeks. Putting that timeline there will make it very difficult to play games if your former partner wants that bonus for basically an early acceptance. Give them a reason, right? Appeal to their self-interest and give them a reason to agree. Love that. It's a good negotiation strategy. I think I learned that one in law school. I like that. (laughs) Um, All right. So let's move on to part two of the book, which is action steps to help your children manage life changes. And this is, I I love that you created this as a whole separate section of your book and gave so many tips for parents because 
parents can often get lost in the fact that they are fighting and I'm using that word in, on purpose, fighting for their children's best interest as they see them. And what gets lost sometimes in that struggle between the parents is what's really happening for the kids, what the experience of going through this process can be like for the kids. And part of that can be the communication among parents and among the children. So your part two, the tip I wanted to focus on is communication guidelines when your kids are with your co-parent. Tell us about that. This, if, particularly if you have younger children, this can be the most difficult among the top three or four difficult items. So um, uh, little Johnny, little Susie, they're six and four. They're used to talking to mom every, every, every day. And now they're at dad's or vice versa. Well, in many of these uh, uh, custodial arrangements, there is a um, there is permission given to the non-custodial parent to be able to call and say hello or say goodnight. And that is a very reasonable and very healthy gift you can give for your children. But it also can be disruptive because that parent is trying to create their own space. All right. Those children are getting used to being alone with mom or getting used to being alone with dad. So these calls can also be challenging. So some of the tips included make these calls early. It can't be around bedtime because if you have a meltdown, then that really is unfair to the custodial parent. Always allow the children the right to call mom or call dad. All right. But put some put some boundaries on it. Kids, it can't be around bedtime. You know that you got to make the call before dinner. Allowing your child access, I think, creates a very healthy foundation for your co-parenting arrangement. So that's really important. But you want to put boundaries on it. So it doesn't make it difficult for the custodial parent and is sensitive to the children. So the ideal is the children know they can always call mom or always call dad. All right. But it has to be done before dinner. Um, it can't be done as they're getting ready to bed because they need their sleep or school the next day. This is actually a very, very difficult. And then whose cell phones? You know, again, you've got to allow access. So these are details that it, it, if they can be discussed before the MSA is signed and put these parameters in, particularly while the children age, I think that can be very helpful for your children and also for you too. You'll know you'll have some level of rules and control around the energy you're trying to create in your household. Right. And I think that's oh, one thing for anyone who's listening who doesn't know what an MSA is. That is your marital settlement agreement. They call it different things in different states. I can tell you're in California because in California, we call it a marital settlement agreement or MSA. Uh, but your attorney might refer to it as a separation agreement, divorce agreement, all those different things. But it will contain this type of a clause in your parenting plan or can contain. Stay tuned for more from author Andy Heller on why taking the high road in your divorce allows you to divorce with compassion for your family and yourself. He put on an imaginary rubber suit before he walked in and said, okay, all these insults are going to bounce off me, but I'm not going to react because they're all going to bounce off my suit. I can't react to it. I'm not saying you got to adopt the same imaginary rubber suit. What I am saying is for most of us divorcing, you will need a coping mechanism that will work for you so that you don't lose it, you're not rude in return, and most importantly, your children do not recognize that you're not yourself. 
and do not feed off your negative energy as best as possible. If you are enjoying this episode, be sure to check out last week's episode featuring a former family court judge and a mental health RN, Lawrence and Joni Jones, who share the ways some parents may inadvertently negatively impact their kids during divorce and how you can avoid it. Be willing to adjust their expectations to help the child. The child can be helped tremendously. And the parties who are able to do that, in my experience, settle their cases faster. And now we return to today's show. And I think that it's really a wonderful thing that you have mentioned is talking about this type of thing way ahead of time of dad sitting on little Johnny's bed reading a bedtime story and now the issue comes up. If you're talking about these types of issues, which if you have the book, you're going to know this is something to talk about. This is really critical because you can talk about it either when you have the support of your attorneys, your parenting coach, your mediator to help you and your co-parent work out what's going to work best for the kids. I think your example is a really important one. A child might at the time of going to bed might want that outreach to the other parent. But if it's upsetting, both parents know that's actually probably what's not best for that child. If it's going to be an upsetting thing, then for that child, it may delay their bedtime. They can get all emotional. It becomes making going to bed, you know, something that's very difficult in a separate household, making the whole thing more traumatic. So having that opportunity to talk about it ahead of time and have the two parents have that conversation, not over the phone, over little Johnny's bed, right? So important. So wonderful tip and highlights just how important it is for parents to get on that same page with each other about how this is all going to actually work for little Johnny, little Mary, their children. So fantastic tip there. I think we've talked about the kids. So the book's in part two talks about how to help children. Then I think very adroitly you shift to, and how do you help yourself? Part three is all about, um, don't forget about your own needs when divorcing. And if I say nothing else in the world, I say, do not forget to take care of yourself when you're going through divorce. Self-care is the most critical when you are going through a stressful time. And you have um, a really good tip that people may not see as an element of self-care, but that's why I chose it because it's so important. Part three, the tip I want to focus on is the two categories of advice givers. Why is that self-care? Because you need to know who to listen to and who not to. I'm just going to make it super simple. And sometimes in life, we all live in a world where Sometimes the best intentions don't result in the best results. People can have good intentions, but they sometimes they're not helpful. And um, again, when I wrote this book, everybody, I, I interviewed experts and all I, I, this. I was just basically the organizer in chief, taking this great counsel from from the experts like the therapists and co-parent counselors, mediators, financial planners and divorcees and attorneys and organize it into a series of best practices. So this is not about my own divorce. So what I can tell you is when this is one of the few chapters that I noticed this from my own divorce, and then I interviewed experts. So when I announced I was separating, everybody and their brother had advice for me. 
And it was all over the place. My head was spinning. And I recognize very quickly that a lot of these people really have good intentions, but they, they're they not qualified is the key word. They're not qualified to give you good counsel. So, we're, and, I, and, and this advice, Susan, came at the end of interviews with some experts like yourself and therapists. Who should you listen to? Well, I recommend two people. One, find yourself a darn good therapist, all right? And even though I'm considering myself to be a reasonable guy, I did recognize that I was, I was not, I was emotionally compromised and not making great decisions. So I asked our co-parent counselor for a therapist, specifically somebody who worked a lot with divorced men. And she was amazing. She was my rudder. Okay. I listened to her because she had worked with men to help get them in a healthy place. The other suggestion I have is find somebody in your circle or outside your circle, who went through a divorce who might be similar to you, um, a woman who was an entrepreneur, a woman who was a housewife, a man who was a stay-at-home dad, a man who worked for a company, had a challenge in divorce, and they've since landed in a place where their kids are healthy, they're leaving, leading good lives, and they have a healthy communication and co-parenting relationship with their former partner with boundaries that make sense to you. That one person and your therapist are the advice givers that go into bucket number one. Bucket number two is everybody else. <laughs> so now you can be you can be polite. You can say thank you, thank you, thank you, but they're not qualified to give you counsel that you need to follow up on. Or you can say, you know what, I really appreciate that, Peter, but it's healthy for me just not to talk about my pen and divorce. So let's talk about sports. <laughs> All right. So or you can anything also, else. Yeah, or anything yeah. you can also answer and just in a kind way saying that channel is is over. Okay. So it's really important so that you can stay focused on the advice that's coming to you from only those that are qualified. And I don't I recommend two people, one sample divorcee and ideally a qualified therapist. Yeah, and it's really important what you said about the qualified divorcee because the people who most often want to give you advice from that category are the ones who had horrible divorces and have horrible relationships post-divorce with their former spouse or co-parent, and they would love to give you advice. Unfortunately, that advice is going to take you right down their path. Yeah, I, I, I could not have said that any better. Um, yeah. And this is why it's really important that the former divorcee is leading a, a, a high quality life and has a, a good communication and co-parenting relationship with a former partner. That's probably somebody that has some good advice. Right. And, and uh, you know, I've never heard anybody actually say that. It's usually don't listen to your friends and family. They're well-meaning, but they, they often will have advice that is... Um, you know, oh, you've got a, you know, one of my friend's uh, fathers told her, you know, close out, go take all the money out of the bank accounts and, you know, close out all the accounts and use the credit cards and do all these things that were guaranteed to start that divorce off on absolutely the wrong foot that was not necessary. And if she had not recognized that and followed it, it might have been a very different divorce for her, but it was a as good a divorce as you can possibly have. Excellent. So I think that's critical. I wouldn't be a divorce attorney if I didn't also say that you should take advice from your divorce attorney, legal advice, 
Remember, yeah. one thing we I always tell people is I wish I were good at the other kinds of advice, um, like a therapist. Very often people want to use their divorce attorney as a therapist. And frankly, unless we actually have that degree, you should probably not ad take life advice from us. Yeah. But and, your legal advice is what you're paying for. We're on the same page. My answer really referred to the, the, the post-sign-in stage. Um, yes. And during the sign-in, you've got yourself a good attorney she or he should hopefully guide you towards getting a fair settlement, getting a fast settlement and move into that next stage of life. Yeah, and, and those are all key. So let's hit part four because part four, now we've we've covered the, the process and strategy, we've covered you know the kids, we've covered helping yourself and self-care. Now part four is focused on healthy dealings with your ex. And this has got to be the my favorite name of a tip that you have in here. The name of this tip is putting on an imaginary rubber suit. <laughs> Tell us about that one. I'm laughing, Susan, because this is one of the 46 chapters. I actually questioned whether I should include it because it sounded a little bit hokey. And <laughs> in the podcast I've done, it is almost always uh, a question. So I really appreciate that. So um, this is a great tip, guys and gals, and it came from uh, one of my interviews. And what happens in a number of divorces is there is a period of time before there's the separation where you are preparing to go into two homes and you're living in the same space or one of the one of the couple moves in with a friend or family until he or she gets their own place. So the co-parenting is done in, in the residence of one of the two partners. And that is uncomfortable for the other partner. And when a relationship is uh, coming to its close, close, all right, and ending, um, both parties don't always realize optimally that they're not being kind. They're they're not they're 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 being kind and mean. And sometimes we can be that way unintentionally, guys. But the other party is being hurt by the actions, the tone, the comments. So th this chapter came from a tip from um, a divorced dad. He moved out, stayed with friends for a number of months. So his initial separation, co-parenting Susan, was done in the space of his wife, who they were separating from. And it was like every time he walked in there, his parenting was never good enough. The support they're talking about was never was never the right amount. It was just horrible. So what he did was he created a little game with himself. He put on an imaginary rubber suit before he walked in and said, okay, all these insults are going to bounce off me. And let's have a contest to see if the next insult can be better or meaner than the last one. But I'm not going to react because they're all going to bounce off my suit. I can't react to it. So I'm not saying it, ladies and gentlemen, you got to have to, you should adapt or adopt the same imaginary rubber suit. What I am saying is there, for most of us divorcing, you will need a coping mechanism and come up with a coping mechanism. I'm giving you an example of one um, that will work for you so that you don't lose it. You're not rude in return. And most importantly, your children do not recognize that you're not yourself and do not feed off your negative energy as best as possible. Basically, we're all going to be actors for a period of time. And you need the tools that an actor uses to be able to go up on stage 
and pretend to be somebody else and have the audience leave with that impression. So we're not all trained actors, so we need to come up with a mechanism or a strategy or a tool like the rubber suit. It, it's it's fantastic. And I have to say, I've used the phrase, you have to be like Teflon yeah. to my clients, you know, nonstick. They, they're going to throw things at you and you're 100% right. This is really common in the earlier days yeah. of a divorce process because the emotion's running higher. Things haven't calmed down. And people will say just the worst things. There's a, a phrase amongst divorce attorneys and criminal law attorneys that divorce attorneys, wait, no, criminal attorneys see the worst people at their best and divorce attorneys see the best people at their worst. Yeah. And it's, it's true, unfortunately, that high level of emotion, but what you're really, it, it's so important. What you're saying is really be aware this is going to happen and have a strategy for how you're going to deal with it instead of reacting in the moment when you're most likely to react basically the same way. Right. And fire it right back at them. Yeah. And, and honestly, that sentence that you just said is, kind of encapsulates why I wrote the book is we're giving you 46 strategies like what you said in the introduction you'll read them highlight those that might be important to you maybe even six months later and when the situation pops up you've already got a, a a plan in place to handle it so that the impact is lessened on you and your children yeah and that's actually a great strategy talking about strategies that's a great strategy right there what i would recommend for someone going through divorce especially if you're in the early days is to get the book and read it through read it through start to finish read the whole thing try to absorb do what you just said i'm a big highlighter and yeah. page folder and underliner but then keep it nearby as a resource, because as you go into this process or as you're living through it, some of these things aren't going to resonate yet. You're not going to see them in your life yet, but they'll crop up. A lot of the book is written in such a way uh, and you have such a vast amount of experience and wealth of information in here. Sooner or later, a lot of these things will come up for someone. And that's when I see its value just tripling and quadrupling, right? That you can constantly go to it, pull out that awareness of what's happening and the strategies for dealing with it. So we've shared just four out of 46 tips. Plus there's 10 golden nuggets in here, folks. Plus there's the checklist. There's all kinds of wonderful information. Tell everyone how they can get the book and find out more. Sure. The book's available on Amazon. That's where almost everybody gets it. Just go there and Google Andy Heller Divorce or Andy Heller Take the High Road Divorce with Compassion for Yourself and Your Family. And on the back of the book is our website. You guys can stay in touch. But it's a simple read, guys. As, and as Susan said, it's divided into 46 tips and some will, reply, will apply to you right away, some down the road. And it's there to arm you in advance with a strategy. The, the other thing I'm going to add is... um. It's funny, in all the interviews I did, Susan, probably the most common thing I heard was, no matter what I do, he does this. No matter what I do, she does that. Well, one of the things I can say to all of you is that you, we couldn't control them when we we're married. So you're, you're not going to have more control when they're divorced. So one thing you'll notice with this book is it deals with unilateral steps that you can take that help you manage if you're dealing with a toxic or just an uncooperative former partner with a goal of helping move that person into a position where they're actually able to work with you better. But the, the key point is the steps are unilateral. 
Okay, so they don't depend on that your partner doing something, but they are designed to get them to change their behavior. And some will work great, some will work kind of okay, and some won't work. But it gives you a coping mechanism and a plan. And that's probably the most important thing that you've said throughout this entire um, episode for people. So I'm, I love that we saved it till the end because you really, we say it a lot, folks, but it's truly, it is what it is. You can only control yourself but you can learn strategies for managing the behaviors of your co-parent or your ex-spouse that are at least going to help you. It may not, they may not all work and they may not, it's not like a magic wand that I, last I checked, I'm, I'm ruffling through the pages. No wand is falling out. No, that's, but, that's in the third edition. That's in the third and perfect. <laughs> but it, it, I can promise you folks that with, with these strategies, I think just in the four that you heard Andy talking about, you can see how if you're expecting certain things, behaviors to happen when they happen and you know how to deal with them, you can have a much better response and move forward yourself toward those goals that, that you talked about at the top. So Andy, I, thank you so much. Thank you for taking this on as a, as a project. Um, you know, this, I can only imagine how much time and effort this took, but this is truly a wonderful resource for people going through the divorce process. And, uh, you know, I highly recommend it to everybody. Thank you, Susan. It was eight years of research and uh, it did take a lot of time, but I am also proud and I'm, I'm humbled by the, the feedback from people like yourself who are qualified and are in the divorce space. And that's probably one of the, 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 the kindest and most well-received compliments I've been receiving. So I, I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for joining me today on the Divorce and Beyond podcast. I hope you found some information and inspiration to help you on this journey. Please join me every Monday at 6 a.m. Eastern Standard Time for a new episode. And if you like the show, please take the time to subscribe and leave me a five-star review on iTunes. You can also find more information on the website at divorceandbeyondpod.com where you'll find links to the YouTube channel, transcripts of the episodes, and other bonus content. So I'll see you next week to help you move through your divorce and beyond.